Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. All right, I'm going to be in John chapter 6, the book of John chapter 6. It's about three quarters of the way through a paper Bible. We'll also have scripture up on the screen. While you're getting there, I want to ask this introductory question. Have you ever quit something too early? Think about that for a second. Have you ever quit something too early? I've got a number of things I'm thinking of in my own life. But the reason I chose that question is actually from something that happened last weekend. I don't know if you're a football fan, but last weekend there were a number of NFL football games that were phenomenal. Any Any football fans in the room? Yeah, quite a few. So last weekend, in case you didn't see this, were great games. Some of the greatest games ever were on television. And one game in particular, it was the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs. This is a picture of Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Holds about 76,000 people. It was a game that, that was just back and forth through the whole game. Fourth quarter, it was very close. And the Buffalo Bills in the fourth quarter with 13 seconds left, scored, and it looked like they were going to win. Now, in that moment, there were likely hundreds of Kansas City fans who thought, you know what, my team's probably not going to win. There's 76,000 people here. I'd like to beat traffic. I'm going to quit early. And hundreds of fans, they actually wrote about this in the newspaper, hundreds of fans started to leave. People turned off at home, they turned off their television sets because they they knew what was going to happen. There's only 13 seconds left to quit early. But if you stayed with it, here's what happened in 13 seconds. Kansas City in three plays, ran it down the field, kicked a field goal, tied the score, and in a very quick overtime, they won. Can you imagine being one of the hundreds of fans in the parking lot hearing the stadium erupt, and then wondering what is going on. You pull out your phone and realize you have just missed one of the greatest games of all time. Can you imagine the regret? Because you quit early. Maybe you're not a football fan. Let me give you another example of quitting early. I've used this example before. This is a picture of my son Jack and I. This was years ago when I worked at a local hospital. Jack at that age, would come every now and again, and we would share lunch together. It was kind of a fun little moment. He would come for a half hour, 45 minutes, and sort of the fun thing about that is after lunch, we'd go get an ice cream cone. It was a great moment, but if you pay attention to the picture and you see what I'm doing, I'm smiling and I've got my hand up to my ear. It's because I'm on the phone working. I quit early on my son. Like, it's only 45 minutes. Can I just have a moment and be present with my boy? And I quit early. I I pay attention to that picture, and it's in my office because it's a reminder to be present with people that are in front of me. Here's a couple of other things in case this will uh, point us in a direction of quitting early. The local graduation rate of community colleges in this community are between 40 and 60 percent. 50% of the people that go to community colleges have the best intentions of finishing, but quit early. Sometimes life gets in the way, finances, it gets hard. 
Or what about marriages? I don't want to give you the statistic, but I'll give you one. I married a couple a number of years ago and, and just realized that they just this last year got a divorce. That's sad. Like that's, for me, that's personally sad because I know them. I knew them and the love that they described for one another, yet they gave up early on something that it's, it seemed like a few years ago God was blessing. Maybe you would agree with this. There's, there's benefits to not quitting early. Would you agree with that? You get to stay at a football game and see some of the greatest football of all time. You get to be present with your family when you don't quit on them. You get to finish college and that has a positive impact on your career. Or you stay in a marriage because that's what you told God that you would do for the rest of your life. There's just benefits of sticking with things. Being part of the faithful few who actually stick it out. So I want to make a spiritual shift on this point. How are we doing it? not quitting things in our spiritual lives. How are we doing at that? The concept of a faithful few spiritually who stick things out when it becomes tough is a frequent topic in Scripture. Here's, here's one example in the book of Galatians that says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. We want that, but then it goes on, if we do not give up, just being honest, for me, just being transparent, sometimes in my spiritual life, this is challenging because when you read the Bible, there's some hard stuff on here, like love your enemies. How are we doing at that? Sometimes that's hard for me. Pray continually. I'm not doing that. Give to those in need. Deny ourselves. And if I'm honest, those are not easy teachings, and I'm not, it's, for me, when life gets hard, it's easy for me to give up on those things. And it got me wondering as I was thinking about this message. Has the world, have we, made it really easy to accept Jesus? So easy, in fact, that it's then easy to quit on the hard things that he says. Jesus tells us regularly, isn't this a fun message? Are we good? <clears throat> Jesus tells, them, tells all of us in Scripture that only the faithful few will make it. He says things like this in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's clarifying when we think about that, that statement. What about this in Luke 13? Someone's wondering, like, how many people, like, this stuff is hard. How many people, Jesus, are actually going to make it? And he gives us this image of heaven, and he says this. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I will tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. It's Jesus referring to, it's the faithful few that he's looking to. There were only a faithful few that some, saw some of the greatest miracles of Jesus. There was only a faithful few that got to hear the, what the parables that, that so many people were confused by meant. 
There were only a faithful few that got to experience the first time the Holy Spirit came upon them. The other people missed it. The people who gave up early. I don't want to miss out on the greatest things from God in my life because I quit early on something. Do you? Do you? So hold that thought. We're in a series. The series is called Resolve. Starting the year off right. And as I think through this message, and I've been praying about, I really want this message, these words of Jesus that we're going to talk about, to set a foundation in our lives where we will resolve not to skip the hard stuff. That we'll go beyond just the easy things of, uh, of what we think Jesus says and actually dig in because it can help us when times get challenging in our lives. And I want to look at this in John chapter 6, but I have to set the text up a little bit before I read it. Jesus has been teaching And his teachings have been phenomenal. People have been coming, and they've been listening, and they have been excited. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts teaching, and it's getting a little challenging. And he teaches. I'm not going to tell you exactly what he teaches. You can read that later. But he teaches something that is really, really hard to hear. And the people get a bit upset. And their response is what I want to focus on tonight. And so their response to this hard teaching starts in John chapter 6, verse 60. I also have to say that the word disciples, we're going to talk here about the disciples. It's not just the 12. Some of you are familiar with, oh, there's 12. Yeah, absolutely. But in that time, so many people were following him, they would call themselves disciples. There were many more than 12. And he, they heard this hard teaching and said this. On hearing it, many of his disciples said this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you, Jesus? Asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In that text, I see a few things that can help us not skip over the hard things of Jesus and be part of the faithful few. But before I dig into those, let me pray. Will you pray with me? So God, we're, uh, we're still at the beginning of the year. There's still time to resolve to do things differently this year. And I pray For me and anyone else in the room, God, I do not want to miss some of the greatest things that you have for us. And so I pray, God, that the scripture that we just read, that you open it up, that you help us understand it with this message. 
that you let it seep into my heart, into our hearts, so we see and understand and love what you say. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Back in the handout, a couple fill in the blanks, help guide us through the evening. Here's what I see in the text. The faithful few engage in the hard stuff. They engage in the hard stuff. At the beginning of the text that we read, John 6, 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Whatever it was, you can read it later, but it was, it was a challenging teaching. And it wasn't just challenging to understand. It wasn't like, what are you talking about? It was very, it was very clear, but what they're saying, it was challenging. When you look at the original language, it actually means that it was unpleasant. Jesus was teaching something that they were like, whoa, I, well, I don't know about that. That doesn't feel good. That's unpleasant. Jesus teaches some unpleasant things in Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. As Jesus was walking at a different time than this text, Jesus was walking around and two men came up to him. First one came up and then later another one came up. And they both had the same thought. Jesus, we want to follow you. We will follow you anywhere. And even before I read this, it sort of captures me because I've said the same things. Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you anywhere, Jesus. And look what he says in Luke 9. The first man said, but the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but that's a little unpleasant. Like, if my dad died, I would like to go bury him. I want to say goodbye to my family if I'm going to be gone for a really long time. Those are not... Hard things to grasp. But Jesus teaches this unpleasant thing because he realizes that if he lets those guys go, that there will always be a but first. What about this teaching? John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not multiple ways to the same God. You can't be a good person and just end up in heaven. The only way that we're going to end up in heaven is to go through Jesus. That's it. There's no other option. That's a hard teaching to the world. Jesus teaches us about money, sex before marriage, gender, politics, war, disease, all of which are challenging and unpleasant teachings. So what do we do with them? Here's a couple of of things that I do. Maybe you do these. Maybe you ignore them. You come across something in Scripture and you're like, whoa, that is unpleasant. In my early 20s, I would have said that I was a Christian, but I was not a Christian. There was not fruit in my life that anybody could point to to say that I was a follower of Jesus. And then 
soon after that, I, I started following him, but I was not great at it. And I remember reading and hearing about prayer and how important prayer was, but I just didn't do it. I'm just being honest. Maybe I prayed during dinner for the food, but I just did not pray. It was not something that I enjoyed doing until a moment in my life where the only thing I could do was pray. And then I realized, oh, what I had been missing for years because I was not praying, because I had given up early even though Jesus said we should pray continually, we should seek him for answers, and I didn't for years until my life had a disaster in it, and I was forced to, and my eyes were opened. I have regret for ignoring it. What else do we do when it gets hard? Argue my position. Maybe you don't do this. It's easy to do, right? You read something hard in Scripture, and you're like, well, but first I need to do this. I'm going to do that, but it's the but first. Or you read something challenging, and you, maybe you argue, but I don't know about that. That's for that time. I mean, that was thousands of years ago. I mean, how does that relate to us today? And we argue ourselves out of the very thing that Jesus is trying to teach us. But when we try to ignore or argue things, and then we run across scripture like this in James that says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's pretty clear. We go further in James 4.17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. The right approach when we hit the hardest teachings of Jesus is not to ignore it. It's not to argue ourselves out of it. That's a sin. The right response is to engage in it because the very thing that Jesus is teaching gives us life. Which is exactly what the text says. It's what Jesus taught. Look at this, John 6.63. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. I looked up the original language, what it meant by life. Do you know what it means? Life. It means, I will give you life. I will return life to you. I will revive you. I will fill you up. It's the very thing our hearts look for. It can be found by the hardest teachings of Jesus. It's why he said in John 10.10, I have come to give you life and life in the full You can write this down. Jesus' hardest teaching provide the greatest clarity to life's most challenging subjects. Jesus' hardest teaching provides the greatest clarity to life's most challenging subjects. Doesn't mean it's easy. It's going to be unpleasant. I'm not perfect at this. I'm still trying to figure it out. Three or four weeks ago, I had an interaction outside of the church. And the interaction with this other individual didn't end really well. They ended up mad at me. Have you ever had that? You're talking to somebody and you think you're doing the right thing and all of a sudden they end up mad and they stomp away and you're like, what just happened? 
Like, am I the only person in the room that's ever happened to? Well, let me tell you how it turned out for me. So, so I'm like, okay, they're mad. I did the right thing. I'm good. And then later, I think it was even that week, I'm reading in my Bible this verse, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It says this, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, pause. Notice that the text doesn't say that if you have something against them, it says if they have something against you. And in the moment when I'm reading this verse, the Holy Spirit sort of shook me up a little bit and, it's, and I kept reading. It says, leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So I was there wrestling with the Lord in this unpleasant teaching because what he had highlighted is the guy was still mad at me. And so that evening I went out on a porch and I called him even though I thought I was right. And I apologized and I asked forgiveness and it didn't work, <laughs> right? He's still mad, but as far as it's on me, I tried. It, it's, some of this is not fun, it's unpleasant, but it gives us life. If we think that we're gonna get the greatest things of God in our life by skipping the hardest things that Jesus teaches us, we're deceived, so here's a question. Am I regularly engaging in the hardest teachings of Jesus? It's worth it. You won't regret it when you dig in because the faithful few engage in the hard stuff. It's worth it. The other thing I see in the, in the text is this. If we want to be part of the faithful few, the faithful few reject the momentum of the crowd. John 6, 66, it's towards the end. It says this, from this time, many of his disciples, it's more than the 12. I don't, we don't know how many there were, but it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I've got this mental image of this moment that Jesus is talking to many people and just a whole bunch of people get up and start leaving. It's as if, can this section do, a, let's, let's do something. Can you guys stand up? Just this section. <laughs> I debated whether you should leave or not, but I'd like you to stay. What if, uh, realistically, if this group right here, I don't want you to leave, but if this group really didn't like my teaching and found it offensive, they all got up and left. What would you all do? You can sit back down. Like really, what would you do? It could, movement like that creates momentum. You start thinking in your head, whoa, what should I do? That whole group just left. Can you imagine, can you visualize the scene? There's a, a term for this. It's called groupthink. Maybe you've heard it. Here's the definition of groupthink. The practice of thinking or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages individual responsibility. You see a group move, you relieve your individual responsibility in a decision, and you just flow with the crowd. It happens in Scripture. Like, this is not a new phenomenon. We can go back to the Old Testament and see this happen. 
Let me give you an example. Moses leads the whole group of Israelites out of captivity. They have seen some incredible, incredible miracles of God. Moses has got a number two guy. His name's Aaron. Aaron has seen these things. They're all excited. Moses is going to go up on a mountain. He's going to meet with God. He's going to get the Ten Commandments. It takes 40 days. And look what happens. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered and Aaron said, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Time out. What are you doing? You have seen some incredible miracles of God. Aaron, you've been the number two guy. And you know what Aaron's approach to this issue is? You know what? That's a pretty good idea. Why don't you give me some earrings? We'll make our own gods. Are you kidding me? Like he flows with the crowd. It happens all throughout Scripture. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, following Jesus, who is arrested, would rather deny Jesus because he's afraid of the crowd around him than say, I'm a follower. Jesus is standing up in front of a whole crowd of people with a murderer beside him, and the crowd gets to decide who gets to be crucified, and the crowd gets whipped up, and guess who gets set free? The murderer. Isn't it easy to look at those situations and think, oh, come on, guys, you missed it. But if we pause and take a look at our own lives, at where we're following the crowd instead of following Christ, Maybe some of these examples will hit. We see something we don't like in our community. We hear something that the president doesn't do right or doesn't say right. And our action is to then start talking about how we know better and about how so-and-so did this and I can't believe that. We'll jump online and all of a sudden we got loose lips that sink ships. Right And Proverbs 18 says, words have the power of, of life and death, and we are killing people with our words. Or how about this example? We shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage, even though you love them. Even though you think it's going to last forever. Jesus is pretty clear about this teaching. You shouldn't do it. Or someone upset you, you had a grudge, you unfriended them. You're thinking about divorcing them. And Jesus tells us to forgive, even when it's hard. And forgive again and again, and a lot more times than you have. If we look at any of those issues outside of Scripture, outside of Jesus' teaching, the, the crowd, the world is leading us to things that are not healthy in our lives. When we follow the crowd instead of following Christ, here's what happens. Ephesians 4, we get tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. We get tossed to and fro. We get lost at sea. And when the 12 disciples in this account see an entire crowd moving, And they're standing beside Jesus. Jesus looks to Peter and he says this question. 
You don't want to leave two, do you? And I wonder how many times in my life Jesus has looked at me as I wonder if I'm going to go with the crowd, and he says, Steve, you're not going to leave two, are you? And Peter, one of the faithful few, responds this way, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what that is? That's dropping an anchor. That's positioning yourself in such a way that you realize that the alternatives are nowhere near as powerful as the man who has eternal life in his words. You can write this down. The faithful few set an anchor by Jesus instead of giving, getting swept away by the crowd. The faithful few set an anchor by Jesus instead of giving swept away by the crowd. Because they did that, those 12 disciples heard the best teaching ever. They got an inside scoop of what Jesus was doing. They were promised the Holy Spirit would come. They didn't miss it. Can you imagine being part of the disciples that had left earlier and then hearing about that, the regret that they would have had? Not once do I read that Peter regretted the decision to set an anchor by Jesus. I don't want to miss out. If God's got something good for me, I want to dig in and set an anchor by him, even though some of his teaching is unpleasant. Even though it's hard to follow, it is so worth it. I want us to be part of the faithful few that see the greatest things of God. If we do, if we set an anchor by Jesus, we will never regret it. The faithful few engage in the hard stuff and reject the momentum of the crowd. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.